Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news, evolving methods of providing legal service and law practice issues. My name is Mary Vandenack, founder and managing partner at Vandenack Weaver LLC. I'll be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about closely held business, tax, trusts and estates, legal technology, law firm leadership, and well-being. Before we start today's episode, I want to thank our sponsor. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. There's always a resistance to change, particularly with attorneys. Attorneys like to look back at what's worked in the past, and that makes a lot of sense. But when you realize that with a good automated drafting system, you can do a better job for your clients, deliver documents on a more timely fashion, in a more consistent and in a more costly manner. If you're not a subscriber to Interactive Legal, I urge you to go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. And you'll be contacted about having a demonstration of Interactive Legal for you, which can be done right over the Internet. Don't have to leave your office. No salesperson will call. We can arrange it at a time inconvenient for you. So please go to interactivelegal.com and click on Request a Demo. On today's episode, my guests are Evan Levine and Ninesh Shaw. Evan and Ninesh are both partners at Complete Advisors, LLC. Complete Advisors offers comprehensive financial services for business owners. In the business arena, services include valuation, enhancement, and exit planning. On today's episode, we are going to talk about earnout agreements. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's Thank great you. to be here. Great to be here, Mary. Thank you so much. So in its simplest form, what is an earnout agreement and why has COVID brought more attention to earnouts? So I get out. This is Evan. I'll take this one first. I'm I'm the simple child in the group. So uh, uh, in its simplest form, uh, an earnout agreement is contingent consideration in the sale of a business. So let's say we have a, uh, a an 11 year old budding entrepreneur, and she has a lemonade stand, and the lemonade stand consists of a table, a chair, some cups, some lemons, some sugar, a sign, a, a, a regular spot that, that folks visit. And she also applied for a permit for this lemonade stand. A kid from down the block comes along and says, I'll offer you $100 for the whole business. The cups, the lemons, the spot, everything. And the lemonade stand owner says, well, I'd be interested in selling it, but I don't think it's worth 100. I think it's worth 300. Now, fortunately, we have a clever attorney that lives in the neighborhood who overhears this conversation and walks over to the stand and says, I've overheard you. I got an idea. Let's do an earnout. Here's the deal. The buyer will give the seller a $100 lump sum payment plus a stream of ongoing payments contingent upon certain metrics and milestones. So perhaps based on how many sales are made in the first year, 
or how many new customers are gained in the first 12 to 18 months. Maybe we could add a milestone, a payment will be made if the permit is approved, so forth and so on. That's an earn out agreement in its simplest form. Second question was, why is COVID brought more attention? Well, the earnouts have always been relevant in bringing buyers and sellers together when they're too far apart on price. COVID has made it more relevant because they're, in many cases, buyers and sellers are further apart than ever. Because with COVID, many businesses have had a downturn. And perhaps the seller projects that when, when COVID passes, there's going to be pent up demand and the business is going to shoot way up. Maybe the buyer thinks it's never going to get back to where it was. So that's why earnouts are more than ever in getting deals done. Thank you. Anything you want to add to that, Ninesh? Uh, yeah, no, not really. I think uh, in, in a basic sense, it's Arnaut is telling you how to get buyers and sellers together um, in, a, in, a, in a transaction. So are earnout agreements uniform or are they specific to each case? Yeah, uh, let me take that. This is Ninesh. It's quite unique in each case because each transaction is unique. And um, if you think about what a buyer is buying and what a seller is selling, that kind of gives you the earnout um, criteria. As Evan mentioned earlier, when the buyers and our sellers are far apart in the price, how do you bring them together? So think about, say you are selling a, a biotech research company, or you are selling an existing old business which has a continuous revenue, or are you selling um, a technology company which needs implementation of some kind, or are you dependent on key employee? Those are all the differences that happens uh, when a buyer and seller come together. And then if there's a price difference, that's where they have to resolve. So each and every earnout case is different because of the underlying matrices are different. And on top of that, the payoff structure is different. And we can go into more detail on each of this, but because of the complexity of different um, variables within earnout structure, it can be quite different from case to case. See, so you talked about the milestones. Can you give me some examples of non-financial milestones? Yeah, so um, let, me, let me first of all define non-financial and financial milestones. Financial milestones are something that's related to either revenue or EBITDA or earning or some combination of that. So anything that's connected with financial changes of the company, that's more like a financial milestone. Non-financial milestone on the, uh, on the other hand are not directly connected with the financials. Although as we know that when, when buyer is buying something, they are really buying future earnings, right? Um, but some of this trans, uh, milestone can be non-financial. I touched on a couple of them earlier. If you have a technology company and you have applied for a patent and seller thinks that patent will come through, 
in next two years, but buyer doesn't know. So that can be a milestone in a, or not. And buyer and seller can agree, say, if, if the patent comes through in next couple of years, uh, then you will get an excess uh, uh, benefit back. But if it doesn't, then you don't get anything. Similarly, if you have a, if you are in a real estate business and building buildings, and there is a, you know, building that large uh, going up, but it's not complete. So the milestone can be a finishing of that project. Uh, that can be milestone. Uh, if you are implementing, if you're a large company and if you're implementing a um, enterprise-wide so software solution, but it's not implemented and this is, can, can be very risky and that can be a milestone. So those are the different type of non-financial milestone. The, the, the thing with the non-financial milestone, it's, it's usually pretty clean. So um, earning can be manipulated or changed, meaning if you increase expenses or you postpone some revenue, that earning uh, is not clear, clean, whereas uh, non-financial milestones are quite clean in terms of either it happens or it doesn't happen. If you're going to get a drug approval from FDA, either it happens or it doesn't happen in certain time frame. And, and so non-financial non can be quite interesting for uh, companies that are not fully developed. And the FDA approval process is a whole interesting subject right now. So I just gave, I a, pres I gave a presentation on Saturday related to the approvals of the various vaccines and their status. So thanks for that example. It gave me a good chuckle. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors, Carson Private Client. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Okay, let's continue our episode. Well, can we talk a little bit about typical payoff structures and how they are different? So there are, there are many. Again, I think the, the core underlying thinking about earnout is how do you bring buyers and sellers together? Um, and the, so one way you can do that is defining the milestone or metrics that one uses. The other way you can bring that together is how do you pay, pay once the, uh, the milestone is reached? So in a simplest form, it can be fixed, meaning every year you will get $10 million extra if certain things um, happen. Great, that's a fixed amount. 
and you'll get it for three years. That's it, done. But it can be, um, it can be a percentage of a, of a threshold, meaning if the revenue is 100 million, but any revenue beyond that, you'll get 10%. So that's like a percentage of a total, but it has to cross the threshold of 100. Another way to think about it uh, is um, just plain that you will get 1% of the revenue back. So that's a linear to the, to the underlying mat metrics. Um, another uh, way to think about uh, pay payoff structure is there's a threshold uh, and uh, you get excess of that threshold, but then there's a cap, meaning say you get 20 million is your cap beyond 100 million revenue of, you know, and you get 10%, but 20 million is a cap. So there are a lot of different ways you can uh, design the payoff structure to either satisfy the seller or to satisfy the buyer. The flip side, which we, which is exactly opposite of our not is clawback. Um, if something doesn't happen, can the buyer claw, call, claw back some money that they already paid? That can be part of this structure as well. But you know, it's a it's a mirror image of the all not. Yeah, great, great, Nanish, and it just shows how much creativity advisors could could bring to the table when when helping uh, bring the buyers and sellers together. It's it's a fascinating topic, and there's endless ways to to structure it, as Nanish pointed out. But also, there are other complexity that gets added. It's not just the uh, payoff structure, but it's the path dependency, meaning how this payoff is going to get paid. Um, are there multiple metrics that has to be reached? Uh, are there multiple form of settlement? Uh, meaning, is it just cash only, or is it cash in stocks? Uh, is it, um, are there different currencies involved? Uh, is it, you know, are the, are the buyer and seller has some kind of a optionality at the end of the earnout period? There are so much, so much complexity that's get added that people, um, the seller and the buyer has to pre-think all of this to get the best uh, structure done. Otherwise, uh, it creates more friction than not. Uh, at the time of the uh, not conclusion. Yeah, and they Which need is... a team of advisors to do it typically, an attorney, a CPA, valuation professional, financial advisor. That's the key is the advisors and the advisors working in sync on behalf of the client or clients to make it happen. Well, I have to tell you because it is an extremely complex area that has a whole lot of factors. So I really liked the lemonade stand example at the start because I think that took a very complex topic and made it simple. And I assume you guys are probably familiar with the story of Shake Shack. It started at yeah. the little place in New York. And I uh -huh. always walk by and show everybody, this is like the original Shake Shack. And so I'm thinking that's almost, that. that's what the lemonade stand example made me think of is, you know, some guy like opened a little Shake Shack and uh, is it Madison Square Park? It's one of the parks in New York, right? And so you yeah. take that and turn that. It's like, okay, we have this $100 lemonade stand. And there is a lot of room for advisors and ideas. And so I really appreciate you guys sharing some of that. And, and so yeah, and think about, uh, Mary, think about it now. If Shack Shack has to sell, you know, 200 location and they have another 15 in, in uh, going live, how do they structure that, right? 
Right. Yeah. When this was just the, I mean, this was essentially the Shake Shack was essentially the lemonade stand at one point, right? Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. And so, it's, and it happens to be a story I love because I used to go there before Shake Shack was public. But anyway, um, so can you guys speak to the difference between a diversifiable and a non-diversifiable risk in earnouts? Uh, Another sure easy can. topic. Can you make that into a lemonade stand? <laughs> I'll, I'll make it as, as simple as possible. And uh, Evan, add whatever you think. I get uh, the sim- I only get the simple ones. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. I told you I'm the simple child. <laughs> I love the simple example, though. It was great. Know, and it kind of it set easy. us up for the more complex discussion. Yeah. So um, I think a diversifiable and non-diversifiable risk comes in from modern portfolio theory. Uh, In typical financial model, you will see that if you diversify your holdings, your risks are limited to just systematic risk. And similarly, if someone wants to invest in earnouts, what they can do is invest in enough earnout streams so that they don't have to depend on something that is diversifiable. So going back to our original examples of uh, different uh, milestone or metrics, if you have a FDA approval or a software um, that needs to be built or implementation of some kind of project or some building structure that needs to go up, all those are very specific risk. And if you have enough pool of the amounts together, those can be diversified. But then you, you think about revenue or EBITDA or some of those financial metrics that we talked about, those are non-diversifiable because it is connected with the economy. And whatever happens to economy happens to uh, financials in general uh, of a company. And so that's the, that's the kind of a background of diversifiable and non-diversifiable earnouts. Uh, and the reason to even think about this type of risk is how, if you need to value or not, what type of discount rate do you use? It will be different for diversifiable or not uh, pool compared to non-diversifiable or not. The, the other risk that kind of, is, I'll quickly touch on, one has to be very clear that or not uh, can be uh, quite uh, uh, expectation of risk and value of earnout can be quite different than the expectation of the underlying metrics. Meaning, if the EBITDA is expected to be 100 and earnout starts at 100 million, say, uh, say EBITDA is 100 million and earnout starts at 100 million, um, the earnout expectation can be a positive, whereas EBITDA expectation can be zero. And I can go into more detail, but uh, when when you structure the earnout deal, when you try to understand the earnout deal, you have to make sure that you understand that underlying business and the earnout of that business can have a different expectation. So, how do you evaluate an earnout? That's uh, another easy question. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a million dollar question right there, um, or ten million, or twenty million, or even more. <laughs> um, Earnout needs to be valued for a few reasons. Say, 
a seller wants to trans transfer their interest in Arna to some uh, estate planning purpose to a trust. That can be a reason for an earnout valuation. Uh, it can be for or for a company who might just invest in earnout. That might be reason for earnout valuation. And in order to value earnout, you should think about what are you trying to really value. You're trying to value some future expectation of that earn or that stream of earning that you want to receive. Um, and the, the best way to uh, uh, value earnout is not market approach or asset approach. Asset approach is basically uh, what you own uh, in, in, a, in a business or, 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 or a stream of uh, uh, earning, but there is nothing you really own other than the future expectation, right? And the market approach is pretty hard because there is no comparable. Uh, market approach typically is, you know, going back to simplicity, if you are selling a house in a neighborhood, then all the other house that has sold in the neighborhood is your comparable. Here, there's no comparable. Uh, it's, there's no real market uh, data available. So the ideal way to uh, value or not is income approach. And basically what you're trying to do is understand what is the expected uh, cash flow, and then try to value that. Um, there are two main methods to value um, earnouts. One is option-based method, and second is scenario-based method. And if uh, if if the earnout is, we talked about diversifiable diversifiable risk, and so if earnout has a diversifiable risk, and payoff is linear, then it's typically beneficial to use scenario-based uh, method. And if earnout is non-linear, it has a non-linear payoff and, and it's non-diversifiable, then typically option-based analysis is better. Um, but uh, you know, now we are going into a lot of complexity. We can definitely have another uh, podcast and talk about all of these other scenarios, but that's basically the way to think about earnout valuation. Yeah, and our and our goal today, like really, each of the questions that I've asked could be a whole podcast in and of itself, right? So right. our goal today was just kind of give an introduction to some of those topics, and I hope we'll follow up in some way on some you know more details to the extent of interest. And again, I, I think that we should have an article using it using the lemonade stand as the example, though, because that's my <laughs> I was going to give you an example. So, okay, if I like, um, I'm I'm well, I'm actually not kidding, because I think that's an easy one to understand and makes a complex topic simple. So thank you for that. It's going to be my new favorite when I'm talking to clients. But so no. before we get to the end of today's podcast, do either of you have any last thoughts or comments? Yeah, so I have, I have a, uh, again, a very simple observation, and, not, and, and you do, you can't avoid the complexity and the detail, and that's why we have Nanish, but when I started learning and, and trying to understand earnouts, it occurred to me um, uh, how valuable it is, uh, how valuable an earnout structure is when the seller is staying on. So in the, in the lemonade business example, um, if, the, if the seller uh, if the buyer said, look, I want you to stay on for a year so you could introduce me to customers and show me the ropes, so forth and so on, I'll pay you a salary. Think about how helpful that earn out is to further incentivize the, uh, the seller who's staying on to really do a good job. So it, um, that's a great 
you know, uh, it's another great benefit of an earn out is incentivizing the seller who's who usually does stay on for many times will stay on for a certain period of time. And often they want them to depending on the type of business, right? Oh yeah, yeah, that's, absolutely, that's right. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so that, because there's... you know, going back to if if you are buying a future expectation of some uh, earning stream, you want to make sure that you're going to see that, and and usually the seller is a seller or the owner of the business can help make sure that you you yeah. achieve that. It's an added carrot. So yeah, with with uh, COVID and um, all the changes that we're seeing, there the uh, earnouts are more relevant than ever today. And I'm sure you'll be hearing more and more about them as, as we move forward. Well, thanks to both of you for being here today. Once again, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal and Carson Private Client. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Yeah. A Huda Media Production.